In therapy, radically genuine is reached when one is being truly authentic, communicating freely and openly as equals. The Radically Genuine podcast strives to do just that. We will question areas of mental health, culture, societal norms, and what is truly needed to improve the lives of others. Dr. Roger McFillin is a clinical psychologist and board certified in behavioral and cognitive psychology. He is the executive director of the Center for Integrated Behavioral Health in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. When Elon Musk purchased Twitter, he promised to release information on Twitter's policies that resulted in the suspension of accounts. The Twitter files revealed disturbing information on how Twitter censored, discredited, and suppressed information from the general public regarding the COVID pandemic. On today's podcast, we discuss the Twitter files. Welcome to the Radically Genuine Podcast. I'm Dr. Roger McPhillin. I want to wish everybody a happy new year. And just to remind you how important it is to share our content. If we're going to grow, it's going to be really important that those who are fans of our podcast, share it with somebody you know. There's a lot of information, we're going to prove it today, that can get censored from our mainstream news. And some of the topics and our future guests are going to bring in information that are really outside of what are considered um, the bounds of kind of what normal ways of kind of thinking about health or, or mental health. Sometimes their own experience has been that of, of seeing corruption or being harmed by a system. And as we're going to learn in today's podcast, there's a, a lot of valuable and critical science-based information that can easily be censored from the population. I want to get right into it today. Elon Musk, after taking control of Twitter and firing most of the upper-level management, promised to release internal documentation that illustrated the degree to which Twitter had shadow-banned and censored content from experts as well as uh, the opposition political uh, groups in order to kind of push a specific narrative. So uh, to date, which is up to you know, right prior to Christmas, eight file dumps have been released by journalists. Uh, Matt Tabby, T-A-I-B-B-I, Barry Weiss, Michael Schellenberger, Lee Fang, David Zwang, and their various associates after conducting detailed analysis of documents provided by Elon Musk. And what we've learned is that Twitter, often through government coercion, suppressed any information that went against the established COVID-19 narrative, including posts and research by leading experts in their fields. Twitter and the CDC got to decide what, quote-unquote, the science entailed. And for anyone who does not understand what science is at a fundamental level, it means this process of discerning truths from gathered evidence via the scientific method which is something that we strongly support in a way to protect from harms. But it is a method. It is a process. What it is decidedly not is a censored-based ideology pushed and prompted by ministries of truth and certainly the act of censoring of any dissenting viewpoints is anti-scientific. In fact, the entire process welcomes alternative research, embraces this debate, and further pushes that empirical process. And this is where we should have great concerns. In fact, be fearful, be angry, and rise up against any efforts of government coercion, control, censorship, protection of data, and fraud of the American people. The investigation revealed that teams of Twitter employees built blacklists, prevented disfavored tweets from trending, and actively limited the visibility of entire accounts or even trending topics, all in secret and without informing the users. When I, when I say that they censored experts, for example, Stanford's Jay Bhattacharya, who is a professor of medicine at Stanford University 
and his research focuses on the economics of healthcare around the world within a particular emphasis on the health and well-being of vulnerable populations. He has peer-reviewed research has been published in economics, statistics, legal, medical, public health, and health policy journals. He holds an MD and a PhD from Stanford University. And he was arguing at the time that COVID lockdowns would harm children. Now, you know, obviously this is something that we spoke about in the beginning of the process. And we're very concerned about the government response and the public health authorities' response to the pandemic and the harm that it's created. Here on the front lines in the mental health crisis, we were able to observe it daily. We continue to see it today. But Twitter secretly placed him on what's called a trends blacklist and it prevented his tweets from trending. The harms of the lockdown can see can be seen beyond just mental health. What also saw was some vital um, healthcare interventions, including preventative healthcare around things like cancer, cancer treatments, or other healthcare interventions were prevented during this time. Uh, it, it became very clear that the government had an agenda and it was to lock down and push experimental mRNA gene therapy. And that's what it was called prior to COVID-19. It was called a gene therapy. We do not, never have had any long-term studies on safety or efficacy of mRNA gene therapy for the treatment of any condition in a human population. However, the government began to alter the language to include this experimental gene therapy, calling it a vaccine. Language is really important because a vaccine, by definition, is a substance used to stimulate immunity to a particular infectious disease or pathogen typically prepared from an inactivated or weakened form of the causative agent or from its constitutes or products. Since vaccines or immunizations are one of our greatest scientific advancements, the language is powerful to promote the idea that this new technology would be as safe as previous vaccines and it would stimulate immunity thus preventing the immunized protection from obtaining the virus and, of course, spreading it. And then this would essentially end the pandemic. This is not just political lines, folks. This is both the Trump and the Biden administration directly pressed Twitter executives to moderate the platform's pandemic content according to their wishes. The meetings with the Trump White House were also attended by Google, Facebook, Microsoft, and others. It was collusion between government and big tech to set the narrative. It was a concerted effort by the United States government and health officials to limit the flow of information to the American people on a free form of information exchange. I'm with you. That is a fact. I know. And I'm, I'm I was trying to say, how did we get here? Centuries have demonstrated that upper elite government officials purpose is to use propaganda and limit the flow of information to control the masses. And there is an illusion of the free flow of information and the fact that there's a free society. There's two, there's two different types of platforms which you can look at. Mainstream media are, are those media programs, including Fox News, including CNN, including ABC, CBS, New York NBC, Times, Washington including Post. PBS, including everything that yeah. people... That ABC, is probably NBC, 70, 80... I, I can't, somebody can look this up. Google. 80% of information flows from there. And we do know that uh, because media companies do own them, that they, they have the, every right to put out certain narratives that benefit their companies and corporations. What Twitter and, um, and Facebook and these social media companies had done then with their growth was allowed other voices to have to be heard. So a Dr. Robert Malone is not going to get an interview on 60 Minutes. He might get an interview, though, you know, from somewhere on Twitter. And, um, and that's, that's what was concerning is that the, the level of people 
from about 2000, I'd say 2010 and then beyond that were going to Twitter explicitly for their news sources. That started to make a shift. Mm -hmm. And I think that's when when people began talking about things that maybe they shouldn't have been talking about or went against policy or went against things, that's when you started to see a government intervention, whether it be ours or foreign. I'm not going to go into that, but there was a concerted effort to basically ban any voice of dissent, right? And that's what I really was hoping we'd focus on. And and let's face it, when... Uh, these social media platforms became a major threat to world governments. It became a major threat to world governments because it's the first time where there's an open and uh, free uh, discussion of information from people outside who can be appointed by the government as experts. One way to be able to devalue any dissenting information is to make up stories. So you can make up stories that the information is quote-unquote misinformation coming from a foreign adversary. So it immediately devalues that information. You can create more narratives to devalue the information, right? So I don't don't agree that in a free society there needs to be a, a thought police to process and determine what's real and what's not real. That's up to the people in a free society. I agree. Because if the original patent holder... Somebody with, I wish I want to go over Robert Malone's um, credentials here a bit, because I think you're talking about a, a gentleman who, up to this point, was very well respected as a leading global scientist, researcher, and a foremost expert in mRNA technology. And he was sounding the alarm bells very early about we don't really have any good evidence or data that this is going to prevent anyone from getting the COVID virus nor spread it. And we, and, and we do not have good safety data. So it was a good man who spoke out. And since that was against the narrative, the government censored him and deplatformed him. He's not the only one. Martin Kuldorf is a PhD in biostatistician and and epidemiologist, a professor in the Department of Medicine at Harvard University. He tweeted out views at odds with the U.S. public health authorities and the American left, the political affiliation of nearly the entire staff of, of Twitter. And so we can get into what the political viewpoints differ. Like there is a, there is a, a different viewpoint in somebody who has more of a large global agenda of authoritarian control as a way to take a next step in making global decisions versus those who are from another political agenda about protecting the, uh, the civil liberties, the rights of individual nations. So that's, that's obviously a problem. But many internal emails showed that this was a very coordinated effort to, um, to be able to prevent the uh, dissemination of actual data. So we're talking about scientific studies that were published, not just people's tweets. And as the data was rolling in from other countries, there was a group of professionals worldwide. I think it was called the Barrington Declaration, which was they decided, hey, our information is being censored. Here's what we believe. And they continue to present data. So Twitter could have easily just censored it. It's not, it doesn't go against people's First Amendment rights to, to censor. They're a private company. I walk into your home. You have certain rules. You're allowed to tell me, you know, and I, got, I'm, I obey them if I want to stay there. But in this instance, those trees that you're talking about, the decision trees, yeah. we want to know exactly who was working to create those algorithms because then it became bots. Bots were the ones that were doing all the work. Those decision trees that you're talking about, yeah. bots were actually recognizing that and then answering. And that's why people were getting deplatformed. And, and those people that were getting the platformed... Not, not all. They were most likely using the CDC information as the truth. And we know that the CDC information that, was never current. It was always way behind and not accurate. So, so hold on a second here. That would not be telling the entire story. Everyone knows who Alex Berenson is, former journalist of the New York Times. Yeah, he was banned. Now, that was not a bot that stopped him no that was that was a meeting between andy slavic who represented the white house and alex berenson was deemed by them an anti-vaxxer which again is nefarious he has full vaccinated 
as as I am, as everyone in this room is full vaccinated for what is rec- what is recommended throughout childhood and in our lives. When the COVID vaccine came out, he recognized it was an mRNA technology. He did his research, and each country handled this differently, including lockdowns. He gathered and published the data, whether it was from Israel, whether it was from the Nordic countries, whether it was from Europe, and he would publish this data and talk about the concerns. And so then he was labeled as an anti-vaxxer and he was deplatformed. He became a powerful and influential journalist in the United States. And we all recognize that in a free society, there is extreme value to free press, right? A free press can keep government in check. And it can be able to provide information to the people to make informed decisions. If no one was harmed, there's not much of a discussion today. But this is a human rights issue. This is a human rights issue that extends far beyond just the COVID vaccination and gives us information about health authorities and medical authorities in their promotion of information and other more uh, other data that would be important informed consent gets centered censored and left out of the mainstream information for which doctors make decisions. So when it comes to forcing, and in the United States, it was a forced vaccination. Your rights were limited if you did not get vaccinated in major cities in the United States and in universities. We forced vaccinations on college-age kids. This is a violation of constitutional rights. And now we're finding out that this health-related information was purposely censored from the American public. So there needs to be strong bioethical standards in the United States. And those standards have been violated. They have failed. And they continue every single day in our healthcare system as we've transitioned into this protocol-driven world, protocols driven by the pharmaceutical industry that can create harm. People are not receiving the most up-to-date information. The reason why this is so relevant to our podcast is because we have, re- we have started this podcast and developed it based on iatrogenic harm, harm of medical interventions. So when, when there, is a, there is a clear conspiracy between uh, U.S. government pharmaceutical agencies and major social media uh, technological platforms that disseminate the information... There is a coordinated effort to harm people. Now you can ask questions why that is. Now you can get into bigger discussions when you can accept that to be fact. So let's, if that, I'm, I see that as being very, very high possibility that that did occur mainly for not only monetary reasons, but also because they went one, one direction and it was like, we're just going in this direction and we're going to get everybody to think that way. Do you think that what he just said is plausible that there's because to get out of this whole thing the fbi and all these other individuals basically are calling our conversation today a conspiracy theory yes and and here's here's my concern i don't like any form of censorship i am 100 percent for free speech i believe everybody's message should should get out there what i don't like is more government intervention now i think what happened over the last and this is my opinion this is my belief that it's been this governmental creep that has happened over the last 10 years. They got their foot in the door. They had meetings. They met with all the tech companies. They established these relationships. They established working relationships. They crept a little bit more. The people that were working there, they formed not an alliance, but a way to support one another in terms of financing, in terms of uh, government funding, and then in the terms of, of what potentially could be influence. Now, what I don't want is that any type of government telling a company what they should be throttling up or throttling down. I think a business has the right to do what they need to do that's going to drive their revenue and their profit because they are a business and they need to do what's best for them in terms of being a profitable business. Now, we're focusing on one topic here, um, which is the COVID discussion. Now, within Twitter, there's billions of posts that are happening. So there needs to be a way for them to throttle things up and throttle things down based on what's going to generate the most revenue from them. And that has probably been 
the amount of followers somebody has, the amount of activity uh, and engagement that's happening with a post. That's what gets bumped up. Now, to remove those things so that it's just an open platform where just it's a constant feed of activity is not going to be the best experience. So that's my concern. So why, why is that? I'm curious as to why you think that that's not the best experience. Because I know like when Reddit first began, you know, he created that platform because um, he wanted just everyone to have a voice, no banning of anything. Um, and at first Reddit did that. Reddit also was hindered then during COVID. Yeah. Same thing. They started banning everybody that was, you know, calling it a conspiracy. I'm just curious. I'm trying to understand why, because you're not the only one that said that. Why is it so bad to have open voices? I don't want to hear throttling. I want to hear the best argument, and I want the best argument to go to my trending, right? That's what I want to see. Yeah, and how, that, how do you determine what the best argument crowdsource, is? Right? Crowdsourcing. Well, that it, would be it, the engagement. Yeah, right? that's what I want yeah. to see. You want the people to decide. I want the people to decide. That's right. Well, that's you just made the argument that Twitter should decide. So they, they throttle it. They decide based on, on what can generate their best revenue. What we're saying is in a free republic in the United States, but also for a business, um, the people should decide. Right. So um, if you're going to use a social media platform, what trends should be of mo what's most interest to the individual? And that's where authority figures and those who are in power and control can always take their power to dissent someone's voices by discrediting that voice. And that's dangerous. So, yes, I believe the power should be with the people to decide. But what you were saying has happened was that the exposure was severely limited to prevent that from happening. Yes, purposely. Purposely. Through the government. By, by bumping Suppression. it down, making sure people weren't exposed to the message, it couldn't get engagement, it couldn't get the right eyeballs to get bumped up in their algorithm Correct. to mass exposure. Shadow banning, I think, is the word. Right? So, I mean, that's what comes into the amount of followers and the influence. So you finally have somebody who gets exposed to a message that has a significant following and then pushes it out there, and then that has the potential to then do its, you know, social media. And there's shaky or, ground because the government, if, you know, well, now we, we know factually that because of the emails that were found that they were telling Twitter, look into this account, look into this account. We don't want this information out there. Now it, it's that's not, a problem. A, that's a problem because it's, even though they're a private company, they can do what they want. Yeah. Now you have the government having well, a massive amount of influence on them. E and even. I believe they got paid. They did get paid. Yeah. And the Twitter files... The U.S. United States government did end up paying them money and a pretty good amount of money. So, so the problem was For what it, the problem was, though, it wasn't thousands of Twitter employees who were just following protocol. They actually um, it was teams that they were placed in and they they built built blacklists to prevent. Did they call it blacklist or the media is calling a blacklist? Well, you can use whatever language that language matters that that the, the teams highlighted influential people who were presenting information that were disfavored from the government's narrative. The CDC guidelines. Well, the CDC was an extension of the government yep. and the pharmaceutical companies working together. Yep. And it, 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 it certainly allows for questions for us to, to ponder because government clearly partnered with big tech to censor experts. They lied to the American people people about what was established science this is a fact that's not debatable they pushed lockdown measures mask mandates and vaccine mandates that were not supported by science and even if you have conversations today with the average person because they're they're not going to they're not going to do this work they're not interested in the same way that we're interested they have their own lives they're living their own lives if you act if you asked everyday americans they think that many of these interventions were necessary the general public continues to get lied to medical professionals continue to push covid vaccinations as if they work and there's still protocols every day in our medical establishment that make no sense medically i'm going to give a great example of something i just heard this week we talked about the dangers of benzodiazepines on here and how highly addictive they are i had a, a client who went in for a procedure she was released with a Xanax um, prescription, refused it. They said, it's our protocol. You can, re you can fill it if you want. 
So we have people that are being discharged from medical procedures with Xanax prescriptions. We know how highly addictive that is. And those medical professionals following the protocol don't know if that person has a drug history, an addiction history. Now, yes, the individual doesn't have to refill it, but making it protocol is certainly nefarious. And when you ask yourself, what is the ultimate goal here? You're going to have to open up your minds to other possibilities. When we started this podcast, I had the two of you read the great COVID-19 reset to understand more about what a global health agenda looks like with the possibility that we could advance our podcast by thinking about things more systemically and globally and why some decisions are being made uh, on the global level that can harm the individual. Are, do you two start putting things together when you look at that period of time when the government locked us down and forced vaccines to that global kind of initiative from the World Economic Forum? Yeah, absolutely. Because it was always about controlling the population. I thought that this emergency, well, any emergency, when a, when a government is allowed to enact its power, emergency powers and things like that, they're going to put um, measures into place. And a lot of times those measures do take away individual freedoms and things. But this, for, for me, when this, they started locking everything down, they started forcing people to wear masks, they started forcing people to become injected with a vaccine. A vaccine. I, I just was, I, I was flabbergasted. I, I was like, I couldn't believe it. But I had all these other people in my friend circle that were defending it. That's what I couldn't understand. And if we don't sit back and take a very honest look at susceptibility of human beings to mass coercion and control through information, then we're never going to be able to defend when this happens. So are we, do we feel free enough and open enough to discuss why this is actually happening? Because everyone stops there. You know, you, there's a lot of people who get, to, they'll just stop there. Okay, well, the government's going to do things that could actually well, they harm can't, people. But, but they can't, the system, so look at accountability. If we're going to talk about this and people did nefarious things on purpose, who's, who's held accountable? How do you hold them to account? Well, your own government has to hold trials. They're part of the system. There's no oversight into anyone that makes a decision that actually hurts society. They're all protected under emergency. Of orders. course they are. Yeah. No matter what happened, we can't, we can't forget that. When that, you declare an emergency, you can do whatever you want. There's no Absolutely. The power elite will always be able to create rules to be able to protect themselves. I think California is still under emergency orders. I would imagine they would be. I, th I think he has left it there in place. It probably has a lot to do with money, but it's also well, the, the fact that he's protected whatever he does the uh, as the governor. As a nation, we are as well. Yeah. He, he extended it till March, I believe. Okay, okay so the, the World Economic Forum very clearly communicates that the rising world population is problematic on multiple levels. One, um, destruction of natural resources. Two, that effect on global climate change. Three, uh, rising economic disparities that occur. And with the continued rise of the global population increases the risk of future pandemic and diseases. There is also concern from the Global Economic Forum that certain countries who are the richest countries can be able to hoard you know, resources at the expense of the, the rest of the world, protect themselves while um, third world countries and other countries alike would be more victim to the economic disasters from global climate change, disease, and other things. Um, there are very powerful people that believe that the optimal world population is about one, should be about one billion. I think we're currently between what, seven to eight billion now, or seven to nine billion people? Eight billion, over eight billion, right? Mm -hmm. okay. So they're, you know, very. Just How, in the last like two months, I think the numbers. Very powerful people who believe that the world population is, is too high. And in order to make any changes, um, certain things would have to happen, right? You'd have to decrease the birth rate of the world population. And there would have to be uh, certainly some disease, pandemic, or process to stop us from continuing 
to, to populate the world and there has to be global control. Are those debatable at this point? No, I would think the rising population is only going to continue to deplete resources and cause more problems. So wouldn't you then at least be able to re reasonably say that world governments are going to find ways to either kill people off or prevent births in order to quote in maybe in their mind, save the planet. It's plausible. Yeah. I mean, I, I would imagine, although the population projectionists are saying that the, the, the population is going to go down as well. Like you have that out there. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. We're just assuming that it's always going to grow and grow and grow. I don't know if that's going to be the case. It, it's not because, you know, we are seeing a decrease in birth. Right. I mean, we've talked about the health of at least American people. We've talked about lowering rates of it's testosterone, regional. sperm. Like it's, it is, it's much more challenging to, to have a child now. I mean, from, from toxicity in the environment. And so there is a looming fertility crisis. But again, there's advanced technology to be able to continue to have children if you have the economic means. But there is a, there is a looming fertility crisis. Yeah, there's, there's definitely horrible, horrible, powerful, horribly powerful people that are influencing the world right now in a way that only benefits them. And the use of COVID-19 as an emergency certainly only really did benefit them even more. What, what I was always concerned about is that they, you know, even though this was a, a novel virus, the, the COVID virus does mutate and does weaken. Right. And so it's never really going to go away. The common cold doesn't ever go away. We've never been able to develop a vaccination for a lot of conditions, um, a lot of viruses, you know, including COVID viruses or um, what's that virus that really hurts young children? The RSV. RSV. The RSV. They've never been able to come up with vaccinations for a lot of these viruses. It's part of it, just a natural evolution and it's about being human. And the things that we have to focus on is taking care of our health. You know, the people who did, who did well during the pandemic were people who really took care of their health throughout their lives. Those who were susceptible to the adverse consequences of the illness were the ones who had comorbid health conditions, the ones who, who were obese, vitamin D deficiency. And we spoke about this. The, the best thing that you could do to, to be able to help the pandemic was to be healthy because in all likelihood you're going to get it. Right. But those individuals that were massive influencers, doctors that were saying that were actually taken off of Twitter from the get-go. Yeah. They were basically saying vitamin D, go out and exercise. And at one point I believe the New York times actually posted, you know, how bad, how bad that is. That information is, you know, not, they you shouldn't listen to that. And it's like now a few weeks ago, they just published another one saying exercise might help you uh, and prevent COVID-19. Well, they, they closed the gyms and kept the bars open. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. They, I, they know, passed not, the not, law in Pennsylvania that you were allowed to go to a bar and order a drink because we have open, you can't have an open container in Pennsylvania. Do you remember that? Governor yeah. Wolf passed the law and said, oh, it's okay, guys. Go down to the bar, grab a few drinks, bring them into your car and drive home. I, I remember we brought that up on an early podcast about how, you know, they close the gyms and keep the bars open. And I think Sean said something to that fact that that was to protect alcoholics. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of here. No, I... I Always positive attention. intention. No, I, I said it was to control the population from, uh, from being an uprising. So the only way you can control the population from rising up is to give them the things that they give them what they, they want, desire entertainment. and entertainment. That's and true. During a recession, the one thing that never loses sales it's cigarettes and alcohol, all the vices. Yep. All right. Uh, honestly, now, Sean, looking back, right, a lot of things you assume to be true are wrong. Yeah. And how how do you then make sense of that? How does how has your worldview changed? I don't, if don't, at all. I I don't go on social media. <laughs> No, I don't want to no, hear avoidance. I, I, I mean, you, no, I, you ultimately going to have to make decisions for of yourself course. and your family. Of course. Right? So how has your, your worldview changed? It, it, are you allowing yourself to think more critically about these things? Of course. I, and I think you witnessed it in this room. Now, even when I came in today, I wanted to have a debate with you. Why? Because I... I Some I things think aren't debatable. I think it's important to understand 
if people aren't getting this information and it's considered a um, shadow ban, a, blacklisted, like, whatever. Not even like that, well, that language, but like conspiracy theories, right? So the way I, I look at it um, is I wanted to understand how it could be plausible. And, and knowing over the last eight years what's happened, you know, getting your foot in the door and creeping in, establishing relationships and working relationships, it's plausible that they can influence the message by telling them what should be out there and what shouldn't be out there. So now, now that you know that that has happened and there's some internal documents that confirm it, I still take the position of, of Twitter, meaning like there has to be systems put in place to guide your employees of what could be considered not true like those that's just basic operations you're just coming at it from a business model i understand how the businesses work when you have that many employees you can't have people be rogue but they that's need, a ve- that's to- an extremely i i don't see i don't agree that there should be the systems in place uh, there has I, to be. I think that's a dangerous but there has to be systems in place for employees to follow because th- you have worker bees there yeah. are there are worker bees and worker bees need to follow rules i i, I mean i understand that that's your viewpoint of it but we're talking about a very unique public platform so we're saying that like you're talking about employees at you believe employees at Twitter should be responsible for censoring the world public no, instead of de- letting people to, to determine to, de- to, de- to elevate to, de- to determine themselves. Yeah, but they're they're putting they're going through the elevation process. They're not making the decisions. They're elevating it up to what you called like if, the high level. If John Smith tweets, "Covid's a scam," who cares? Nobody cares, and that's why John Smith wasn't suppressed. Yes. <laughs> and so, but if, um, Dr. Robert Malone, if Dr. Dr. Robert Malone says, Hey, you know, let's put some brakes on this. I think people should, should consider. And, and what's interesting is, is, is Robert Malone wasn't that controversial. He actually recommended that if you're of a certain age range, that the initial COVID vaccination may help you. And he got vaccinated. And he got himself. vaccinated. Yeah. And that's still wh- the position of many doctors. Like if you're over the age of like 70, they, they recommend that it's the only, not the doctors we face, like in our healthcare system, I got, I've got teenagers who, if, um, if, if my son, a teenage male was given a COVID vaccination, his, his increased rate for myocarditis or death is fairly dramatic percentage wise, right? It, there should be no safety guideline that should be giving it to a 16 year old boy. But yet they will say, do you want the COVID vaccine? Do you want? Do you want it? Do you want? And then if you say no, they will say, why not? We recommend it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so like if I, if, if I didn't, if my family didn't do their independent research or, you know, thought like I did or just followed along with what the authority told us, we would walk our own son into a dangerous health intervention. What's that, it called in in um, in your therapy uh, when you just watchful waiting? Yes, doing I mean, nothing. Sometimes doing nothing at a time of crisis is the best thing you can do. No doubt. Well, then it's really just trusting the human body, right? And we're not saying that if you're really at risk for something, you don't consider all your options and weigh your risks and benefits. I don't think we ever took that position, but I pretty strongly took the position that. You should not be giving this to young people and you shouldn't lock down the schools. And I think that has been a position that has stood the test of time, was reasonable, was scientific, and we are reaping the uh, unfortunate negative consequences of such every day. It is so disheartening to hear the stories of uh, some of these young teens. My daughter recently went to a functional medicine doctor to get an evaluation for something. And she asked her, what was the, uh, what was COVID like for you in the lockdowns? And she just broke down crying. She broke down crying because she lost her sophomore junior year. And a lot of her senior year was restricted, meaning she was in an art school. So you know, there wasn't a lot of public performances. She just broke down crying. And so that, that impact on them um, has real significant consequences. Sports years got, mm-hmm. you know. I've heard a lot of um, other podcasts I listen to people talking about this generation of children. Is They're comparing it to the Great Depression in terms of the PTSD as a result of that, right? So the Great Depression, our grandparents never put money in banks and hoarded and kept resources, always fearful of that next big horrible thing that's going to happen. And 
generation of kids that have been impacted. And then they were talking about like what's going on in China. You know, you take what happened here over a year, but you multiply it by three years and you're not just locking people in, you're actually locking people in with armed guards, that entire population, how fragile and damaged they are now. So I, I did want to pose a question because I did actually start this entire practice based on the premise of evidence-based psychotherapy. In fact, I, I use it a lot to actually promote our practice because I believed so much in the scientific process, still do, being an empirical process. And in order to prevent harm, to be able to at least provide interventions that are well supported by science. But what we saw, and the information that comes back from Twitter, it's not new. It's not new at all. And the only reason we have that information is because Elon Musk bought Twitter and revealed it. This is not, this has been more than 10 years. This has been 20, 25 or more years in the making where major industry coordinates with big tech in order to be able to um, you know, really increase the uh, increase sales of their products, whatever that may be, right? So uh, whether it's nutrition science, coordinating with large food companies, changing the recommendations based on the foods that they're creating, distorting that science, um, making food uh, dangerous, but a lot more tasty through certain ingredients to hijack the brain, which ultimately will make us sick and fat, or where they would look on the pharmaceutical side of things or the psychotherapy side of things. You know, it becomes brand development. And then that gets the, that gets its placement in major medical journals on major news networks and on top pages in Twitter. So the question is, is there just, I mean, is there just an illusion of what is evidence-based medicine? And then what do we do about it in order to try to communicate to the general public what is safe and effective when we know, when it's very clear now, it is a widespread government and industry-based conspiracy to promote products? I wouldn't call it a conspiracy anymore. It's a truth. That's a business model. We talk about that. Isn't that, a conspiracy something that? No, but is when you say the word together? conspiracy, I, I'm just saying like I don't mean it's conspiracy oh, okay. theory. I mean it, it was, is. It happened. They conspired. It happened. It is happening. Yeah. It has always happened. Like the we cannot sit there and say to anybody in the audience that this any of this today is a conspiracy. This really did happen, and we have one side pitting another against another side, and people that were really good that probably would have actually saved people's lives were completely discredited on Twitter. It was one of the only ways that people could get information that was alternate to what they were seeing on the news. And that's important. That was the only place. Like if you ask, hey, do you know other sites? Most people don't know the sites that we know, that we go on, that we find information from. They don't know that. Less than 10% of our population knows how to really fun do well on the internet and find accurate information. They just watch the news or they just go on Facebook news and that's it. And that's, there's not, that's nothing wrong with it, except for when you have a government, you have multiple companies coming together, suppressing information that goes against everything, that doesn't bring them profit, that doesn't bring them you know, power. And here's where we're at. And I, I don't believe it's conspiracy. I believe that's the way the business model has always been. It's exactly how it's always been. And when I say conspiracy, I meant they conspired together. And uh, you know, that's clear. And I don't think every the general public is not aware of how coordinated the effort is. Like, so, I mean, I've looked into the pharmaceutical companies, read the books, the investigations, the court documents. They hire the academics. The academics ghostwrite the papers. The papers get promoted in top-tier journals. They then write the textbooks and create the protocols based on the, their financial conflicts of interest. I mean, they get paid to do it. The pharmaceuticals companies align with the politicians. They create legislation, legislation that can protect them and their data. So they don't have to actually reveal the data. That is then taught into major medical schools. They are the major advertisers for the major news networks. So they're protected there. If, if, if the major news networks are going to continue to be able to survive, they need that advertising and so then, and then you start creating these terms, evidence-based, science, 
misinformation and people just repeat it all over again like they're drones they're drones they're drones they're drones, right and now if you're outside the narrative you are a conspiracy theorist you are devalued and that's what i'm so sensitive because sean you you come on this podcast and you just start kind of talking about the narrative and you say it's balance we're all aware i mean we've talked at nauseum about what's been conditioned that doesn't mean it's balance it just means it's conditioning and so that's why it's so important to maintain evidence no, when you talk about providing this. perspective I'm providing perspective of how how this could potentially happen so my point and and this is the, the takeaway is that during the last two years, there's been a percentage of the U.S. population that has stood up and said, no way, not, on, not here. I'm not going to allow you to do that. And we need those people because those people are where the, the line is drawn. Because the government and what we've heard over centuries is they creep. They take a couple steps, then they take a step back. They find out how far they can push it, and then they keep pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And then... Who's the, um, the other psychologist, that uh, Canadian? Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson said, you know, at some point you look back and they said, how did we get here? You know, you allowed it to happen. You allowed them to come and they intervene and they crept and they crept and they crept. And before you know it, your back's up against the wall. So you need people to push back. There's not enough to resist right now, unfortunately. No. Um, and what you do is you always need good people to resist. But when the, when the predominant human experience is that of fear, you will congregate to what you believe is safety in the masses. And so it's going to take special people to put themselves on the kind of the, the firing squad a little bit and stand up for things and to di dissent and to resist. The, and it's very hard to find those people. The, the problem is and will continue to be access to information. There is no solution for that right now. Everything that's been put in place, every system, every media platform is driven by money. It's driven by clicks. It's driven by revenue. It's driven by profit. It's driven by advertisers. Every time I try and search for a research study um, that's involved in psychiatry or whatever or psychology, the only ones that come up are the ones that are most cited. And the ones that are most cited, it's this circular you know, effort. Like someone finds a study and then they cite it and they cite it in another paper so you have something that's getting thousands of citations and then the other ones aren't getting any, although there could be some really valuable information. It gets supp not suppressed, but it gets knocked down in the ranking. And those medical journals are for profit. So, I mean, you, you have to pay for them. There is a subscription. It's, a, it's an industry. It's a for-profit industry. Science is a, is a for-profit industry. This is a capitalist society. Yeah, but the information problem can, will, most likely will never go away. I mean, the only way it goes away is if people decide that they no longer trust well, it and they're not going to use it. Or, or, or you open every platform. You just, you know what I mean? Like somebody actually out there, because it could have happened, creates an open source platform. Well, look at the whole chat. I love GP it. GPT. I absolutely love that it's going. It's kind of freaky. I, I, I sent you guys the link. Yeah. It's, That's gonna, um, I couldn't get to it. I didn't it's, know. What it's it. down now. Um, oh, I used it. I used it this morning. Did you? Because yeah. I, I tried to log into it uh, yesterday. But today is December 30th. So for some reason, it, it was it was down. And, and I searched and I saw that it was down for a period of time. But maybe they're blocking new subscribers. You have be. to subscribe. Right? So yeah. Yeah. The, the value of, of capitalism would be a free market. That's where the people get to decide, right? That's you, you actually believe in the good of the people to make decisions. Yeah, that's the but, old Adam Smith uh, theory of like the, the hand... The hand always influences. But the market isn't free if the flow of information is restricted by those who are the oligarchs. Well, the I guess Adam Smith would argue that um, it would expose an opportunity for another business to be developed and established that would become that, that solution and at which point people will migrate over there and become the new solution. Which, which, is, which is where you can be optimistic. Right, and that's me. Can, can the <laughs> can, yep. can the pendulum swing? Yes, um, for good. Right, like you recognize the evil of this. Is there any other word? It was evil, and the pendulum swings. But that needs that requires the people to rise up. And there is always the question in American society: Are we too fat and happy? Yes. You know, if if you're given everything, you know, you got your your Netflix, your housing, your your food. You know, 
you are just can be stimulated by something else. And so you become too fat and happy Let's and watch you just Wally. accept things. Let's do a review of Wally. Yeah, right. Remember that scene? <laughs> yeah. And so to me, that's dangerous um, because I'm surrounded with generally very educated people. And I see the fear. Thank you. That exists, present company excluded. <laughs> um, <laughs> I see the fear, you know, when you start presenting information that's outside the narrative that was sold to them. It's like, what do I do with this? And they often say, well, give me something else. You know, like, well, show me something else. <laughs> well, that's, that's not really my responsibility, right? Like, as a, as a psychologist or as a medical professional, it's your responsibility. And you accept that responsibility. And so this all ties together. And this is, a, this is a great podcast to be able to open up 2023 because we're gonna be more passionate about the things that we believe in and stand up for something. If you don't stand up for something, what good are you? And if we don't bring on guests and if we don't have opinions around things that, that we believe are very well grounded reasonably and can support people to live better lives and most importantly support freedom of choice and decision-making and try to protect harm. There's no use in having a podcast unless you're advancing something. And that's something we can do on this. We can advance the conversation. Listening to a podcast may be therapeutic, but it is not therapy. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional. If you are in a crisis, or you think you have an emergency, call your doctor or 911. If you're considering suicide, call 1-800-273-TALK to speak with a skilled, trained counselor. If you found this podcast interesting, please share it with a friend, subscribe through your podcast app, and engage with us through our social channels. And if you are concerned about a friend or family member, reach out. The six magic words, I was just thinking about you, may make their day. Thank you for listening.